0: Good morning, everyone. Wonderful to be with you today. It's been a while since I've been here, and it looks like you've done some remodeling. I like what you've done with the place here. (laughs) Congratulations on uh, a good job. It's uh, nice to be along with some of my other uh, colleagues from from Heritage Seminary. Last week, I understand Dave Barker was with you. Dave's a good friend. And uh, also coming up, uh, Steve Baxter and a few others that uh, kind of tie into Heritage. I'm actually an adjunct uh, professor there. Uh, a few weeks ago, one of the fellows who are in the church where I preached uh, introduced me as an, as an adjunct, adjunct professor. So uh, I felt like I was in the trash heap, you know. <laughs> but adjunct is different from adjunct professor. But I'm there uh, also uh, leading the graduate certificate program in, in preaching, and it's a joy to be there. So I bring you greetings as others will and have from Heritage Seminary. And uh, you, you have some good ties there. Pastor Nate went through the program that I direct some years back, and so we got acquainted uh, during those days. And uh, I'll be coming back, as, uh, as Matt said, uh, in two weeks, so I'm kind of like Jesus. I'm coming again. <laughs> uh, the only thing is you don't know when he'll be uh, arriving, but you do know when I'm scheduled to be there Uh, a couple weeks from now. So I'm hoping that you'll have a good experience with me this Sunday so that you'll be back uh, a couple weeks away. Thanks for inviting me. You know, I love stories, and I think uh, probably judging on the basis of percentages of people who agree with me, there are are many of you, maybe even most of you, who would say the same thing. Uh, You love stories. Stories are are really captivating things they're profound things they they get into our attention and and into our hearts there they disarm some of our defenses and they teach us a lot and uh, you find that in the world today uh, probably most people are really uh, drawn to stories more than perhaps any other medium that's why the the movie industry does billion dollars of business every year even during pandemic times because People love stories, and uh, it's it's true on TV and other places. When you start to getting into a story, it's hard to give it up, right? How many of you have stayed up later than you planned to because you wanted to see how it ends before you go to bed? Stories have that power to draw us in, to keep our attention, and to do some, some special things in our lives. The Bible is, of course, uh, full of stories some people would say well they're not true but we know those of us who believe the bible that the stories that are told in the bible are true stories all the way in the old testament many of the writers over different uh, centuries have recorded these stories true stories of people's experiences and we're drawn into those stories we can identify with people like joseph and david and moses and others like them and into the new testament when we see the stories of those who who follow Jesus. Stories have that special ability to to get us to be drawn in. You know, the Bible itself is a story. Uh, From Genesis to Revelation, it's one big story, isn't it? It's the story of how God created all things, how he was active in human history, and how he's going to one day bring everything to a final conclusion. In that sense, the Bible is one big story from beginning to end. But it contains many other stories that really do uh, capture our attention. Jesus knew that so very well. Jesus was a master storyteller. And uh, I don't mean by that that he was just a spinner of yarns. But he was someone who could tell a story in such a way that it drew people in. And the stories that he told were, were stories that uh, in some cases were made up on the spot. Other cases were made in response to questions like, who is my neighbor? But there are stories that Jesus told that, that bore upon life, but they bore upon more things than just our daily lives. They bore upon spiritual realities. Jesus taught in what we sometimes call parables, and that word suggests a story that is laid alongside another story. In other words, a common story in life that you would identify with and recognize, but it has a deeper meaning. It has a more significant meaning, so it points to something beyond what you might call as the obvious. Those stories are the kind of stories Jesus told, stories that have to do with spiritual issues. Some people have defined a parable as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, and I think there's a lot to be said for that. That's what Jesus did. He told a lot of stories that connected with people, but drew them in and allowed them to see themselves in those stories. There's a passage of scripture I'd like you to turn to in your Bible, and I I hope you brought a Bible with you today. In the Gospel of Luke, in the New Testament, chapter 15, we find some of those stories that Jesus told, the stories that, that he wanted to uh, help people see themselves in those stories. If you have that chapter open, and I do in my Bible here, I brought my ESV version. You may have another version of Scripture that you brought, or perhaps you have it on your phone. But you see as as this chapter begins, as Luke the Gospel writer uh, indicates, he's talking, Jesus in this setting, he's talking to two groups of people. One of them that uh, comprised one group is, is called the tax collectors and the sinners. And it says in that opening verse, they were all drawing near to Jesus to hear him. They liked to come when Jesus spoke. They liked to hear the stories that he told. They were compelled to see him, not only because of the interest that they had in what he said, but because of the way he treated them. That was one of the groups that Luke mentions were present on this occasion. And then he mentioned another. He calls them the Pharisees and the scribes. And they were quite a very different group of people from that first group. They were not at all like the tax collectors and the sinners. But it says in this passage, they were grumbling as Jesus was speaking and as he related to these others uh, that were among the tax collectors and sinners. And this is what they were saying. This man receives sinners and eats with them. They didn't like it very much that Jesus spent time with the people that they didn't think were deserving of his time and attention. They grumbled about it. Now Jesus addressed them in this section and he, he addressed them in a, in a special way we'll talk about in just a moment. He didn't, doesn't talk to them directly, but he tells them some stories. But who were these people, the tax collectors and sinners, that were gathered in this group? Well, if you know anything about the history of Israel during that time, tax collectors were Jewish citizens who worked for the Roman government. They collected taxes for Rome, and so they went among their fellow citizens, Jewish uh, citizens and collected taxes, but they would collect more than what the tax itself was required. They would line their pockets because they could up the price and benefit themselves. They were hated by most of the Jews, not only for their association with the Romans, but for ripping people off. And then there were the sinners, and by that they were Jewish people as well, most of them, but they were people who were what you might call secular people. They didn't really follow the the, the closely the, the Jewish traditions and laws. They sort of lived their life the way they wanted to live it, not really paying attention to, to religiosity. And they were the people who sometimes were among the most immoral. Some of the prostitutes and thieves and others would be comprised in that group. So that was one group, and then the Pharisees and the and the scribes were very, very different from them. They were the ones who were meticulous in their observance of the Jewish laws and traditions. That's why they looked down their noses at the tax collectors and sinners because they, they were so disapproving of them. They didn't live up to the standards that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes lived up to. So here you have these two groups of people, so different from one another, and Jesus is telling them some stories in response to the fact that these Pharisees and scribes were grumbling about Jesus spending time with the tax collectors and sinners that they despise so much. So Jesus is telling them some stories. But he doesn't directly tell them stories uh, that address them personally. Have you ever noticed that indirect speech can be more compelling than direct speech? You've probably experienced it. You may be sitting in a restaurant and you're hearing somebody in the booth next to you tell about a situation and you can't help but eavesdrop on their conversation. Because you know, an indirect speech is very interesting. You're training your ear to see what they're saying, and that conversation is more interesting than the conversation you're gathered, you're you're in with the person across from you at the table. You're straining to hear indirect speech. I remember years ago when my oldest daughter was young, we used to go down to the state of Kentucky where her grandparents lived, my in-laws, and. Uh, we would spend time there. They're very southern people, dear people, but, you know, just common folks. And uh, my mother-in-law, her grandmother, would always uh, want to know how things were going. But my daughter at that time said to me, Dad, why is it that Grandma always talks to you when she wants to know something about me? She'll ask you a question, but she won't ask me. I said, "Why? Well, I don't think she does that, does she? So a little later, we were sitting at the dinner table and we were talking and my mother-in-law turns to me and says, "Uh, does Jennifer go to the same school that she went to for the past two years? Here's my daughter sitting right next to her. So I looked over at my daughter, our eyes connected, and my daughter, who was very young, said, I rest my case. (laughs) 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 Uh, Words that I never heard her speak before, but she, she knew it. Well, that was an example of indirect speech. You know, my mother in law was not was speaking about her, but she wasn't speaking to her. That's the way Jesus is in this chapter in these stories. He's speaking about people, but he's not necessarily speaking right directly to them. Notice what he says, and we'll we'll paraphrase some of these things because I know many of you who are here this morning uh, know these stories quite well. But he began by ta- telling two stories and then a third, and the two stories that he began with are more alike than they are exactly with the third story, but they're all about the same kind of thing, about something that was lost and something that was recovered. And he began by saying in this parable that there was a man who had a hundred sheep, and those hundred sheep were probably safe in their fold, but he lost one of them. One wandered off. And it says, Jesus said, wouldn't he leave those 99 sheep in the fold and go after that one lost sheep that was straying until he found it? And then when he found it, he would lay it upon his shoulders, bring it back home, rejoicing. And then he would call his neighbors and his friends and say to them, I want you to come and join me, rejoice with me, because I I found the sheep that was lost. then Jesus says something very interesting because... It is not necessarily connected to actual sheep. But then he says, just so, or in the same way, likewise. I tell you, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need of repentance. He's doing something quite masterful. He's taking that story that they could all relate to or understand, and he's showing there there's something to do with repentance in here. When sinners repent, there is joy. That's why, likewise, when a sheep sheep owner finds that one sheep that he valued so much, he's rejoicing. And then he told that second story, which is very similar, but it's a different scenario. The woman who had 10 silver coins and lost the one, and she's lighting a lamp, she's sweeping the house, she's seeking diligently until she finds it, and when she does... She calls together her friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me. i found the coin I'd lost. And Jesus again says, just like that, I tell you, there's, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus is talking about lost things, and those things are recovered, and then there's celebration. So the pattern is the same. Lost things, recovered, celebration. But as we see in the third story, there's another step in there that has to do with people, whereas not, not like sheep or not like coins who are not really in a position to do repenting. But Jesus is going to talk about something that's even more significant to that. Why are, the, why are those people watching and waiting and looking for those things? It's because it's something they valued. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but I, as I think about it, well, if you see a shepherd, he has 100 sheep, he loses one, and he calls his friends and neighbors and says, I'm throwing a party because I, I found one sheep out of the 100 that I own. Or that woman who lost the one coin, maybe worth a day's wages, and said, I lost it, but I found it. Come and have a party with me because I found it. Well, that's kind of like, in a way, you know, losing your cell phone or Losing your wallet means a lot to you, but would it mean as much to other people? Because, you know, you value something, and you will want to celebrate finding something that you value. Years ago, when I was a a, a brand-new Bible college student, I went to a school in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I was just young out of high school, and... And there were all kinds of new people that were in my class. And there were two two fellows that were in my dorm. One was from another town in Michigan where I was from, and then another from another community. It was very much a rural community. He was a farm boy. And we got acquainted, and we decided one Sunday that we were going to go to a church in downtown uh, Grand Rapids, one of the big churches that many of our students went to. We went to a Sunday evening service. (laughs) You remember those? (laughs) We, we used to have them. And the three of us went. And it was a cool evening, so we all wore our, our top coats. It was, you know, the kind of coat you wear over a suit jacket. And we all had them. And this young fellow who was the farm boy, uh, I could tell just when I first met him, he didn't have a very nice wardrobe. He was right off the farm. But he did have a very nice top coat and uh, wore it to that service that night. We got to the church. We hung it all. All the coats in the foyer went into the service. When we came back after the first service was over, we were picking up our coats and we were going to put them on to walk back to our dorm and, and his was missing. And we really felt bad because we knew that the, he didn't have many nice things in his, uh, among his clothing, but this top coat was a real nice one and it wasn't there. We figured, well, maybe somebody had picked it up and taken it by mistake. And so we didn't know if we waited around, if people would show up and bring it back again. You know, they would recognize they picked up the wrong coat. Well, we waited and waited. Nobody came back. We asked around. We talked to the custodian. It got later and later, and they were ready to close the church. And still no coat. (laughs) We felt sorry for this uh, young fellow. He was just a new friend, but we could tell by the look on his face how sad he really was. And so we said, we feel so badly for you. I wish there was something we could do. And he kind of, with his head hung down, said, well, you know what? It's not so much that coat that uh, that was important to me. I could get another one of those. He said it was that little Future Farmers of America pin that I had on the collar. And I really, that was important to me, and I missed that. I wish I had that back again. Well, the other friend of mine were about ready to say, you know, if that was what was important to you, then why are we going to all this trouble? But it was important to him because he valued it. It was, it was something that, that meant something to him, and that's true in both of those first two stories. This, this uh, lost sheep and this lost coin meant something to these two people who had lost them. That's why they were ready to celebrate because of the value that they placed on those two items. But now comes the big story, the one that we're most familiar with, the one that, that Charles Dickens described as the finest short story that has ever been written. It's the story that many of us know as the prodigal son. Well, at least that's the title that it's been popularly known by. And there are a lot of people who know this story, even people who don't even know that it comes from the Bible. People have heard this story and they refer to others that are kind of wandering away as prodigal sons. But, of course, the story is about a lost son. It's about a, a lost person. The word prodigal, by the way, doesn't mean wayward or lost or, or wayward or uh, uh, rebellious. It means spendthrifty. <laughs> and you'll find when you read that story, that's what this young man was. That's the way he lived his life after he got his inheritance. So uh, here's the story, and you know it probably very well. You might even be able to tell it as well as I could, or, or even better. But the story that is recorded in these verses from verse 11 to the end is about this one son. And he's described as, as the younger of two sons. And he had the audacity to come to his father on one occasion and say to him, Dad, I'm tired of living in this place. I don't like it here. I want to have the opportunity to do my own thing. I want you to give me what is coming to me in, as my inheritance. Now, you've probably heard it said, and it is true, that this was really a very, uh, uh, very harsh thing that he was saying to his father, because in essence he was saying, Dad, I wish you were dead so I could have the money that you're gonna to leave to me when you're gone. How, how insensitive would that be? But surprisingly, the father doesn't refuse. He doesn't say, no, I'm not doing that. But rather, he, he acquiesces to that request, more of a demand, actually. And he says, all right, I'll do that. So he divided the inheritance between these two sons that he had. And the younger son, being happy to get all of that, obviously, if it was property that was given, he liquidated all of it and put it in a form where he could leave and take off, and he went away, it says in this, in this uh, uh, account, to a, a far country. And then it says he wasted or he squandered his property with riotous living. Now, remember who's listening. <laughs> remember who, who is got their ear kind of open to what Jesus is saying. He goes on to tell about that son when when he'd spent everything that he had, wasted it, squandered it. He got to the point where things were really bad. And then a famine hit that same country and things got from bad to worse. And he found himself in a position of needing work even to survive. So the only job he could find was tending pigs, A real indignity for a young Jewish boy. But there he was. And while sitting there in the pigsty, wishing that he could eat the food that the pigs were eating, something happened to him. Something that changed the course of his life. Verse 17, if you have your Bible open, says, When he came to himself, he said. Well, here's a moment of clarity a moment of recognition, a moment of uh, the aha moment. He's sitting there, finding himself in this situation, and he wakes up says, wait a minute. Ha, how, how did I get here? What was I thinking? And he said, what I need to do is to, uh, is to turn around. I, I need to uh, change my direction. He said, how many of my father's servants have, have much more than I have right here to eat. What I need to do is to go back home and say to my father, Father, I've sinned against heaven, that is against God and against you, and I don't deserve to be called your son anymore, but I need a job. So would you make me like one of your hired servants? I don't need to be considered family anymore. Just consider me to be a servant of yours. And so that's what he did. He got up from where he was made his way back home and we see in the story that while he's traveling there's a father waiting back there and had been for all this time we don't know was it months was it years it doesn't really tell us jesus doesn't specify in the story how long it has been just long enough for the father to be waiting all of this time and as the father sees him, he sees that silhouette on the horizon. He recognizes that form coming down the road. It says he ran. And he went out to, to greet this son of his that had been gone. And he, when he found him, he falls on him, he hugs him, he kisses him. He brings him back to the homestead. And he says to his servants, bring a robe, bring, bring a ring, bring shoes, and, and start the festivities, get that fattened calf that we've been saving for a special occasion, and let's celebrate because this son of mine, as he says, this my son, verse 24, was dead, is alive again, he was lost, and he was found. Wow, what a story. <laughs> and you can remember, who was listening? Well, those tax collectors and and sinners, obviously, were listening to this. And I can only imagine the look on their faces while they were hearing Jesus tell this story. And they're saying to themselves, well, that's me. <laughs> that's me he's been talking about. No, he, is, he doesn't say it directly to me, but I can, I can recognize it. That's how I've been. I've been going my own way, doing my own thing, living my life for myself and many many ways dissipating my, my energies, my talents, my abilities. That's me he's been talking about. They recognize themselves. They saw themselves in that story. But you know, the story doesn't end there, and Jesus goes on to tell about the other brother, the older brother that was quite different from his younger brother. And it says in verse 25 and following that, that uh, while the older brother was coming in from the field where he obviously worked every day and he heard all the noise and celebration and he asked one of the servants, what's going on? The servant says, well, it's your brother. He's been gone all this time, but now he's back and your dad is celebrating. He's even asked for the fattened calf to be slain and and they're having it as a barbecue tonight. (laughs) That older son says, no way. You, you, th- you think this celebration is, is right for somebody like my younger brother, that derelict, that, that kid who has disgraced our father and has wasted all of his, his inheritance? You think I'm going in? You think I'd come into a celebration like that? No, I'm, I'm, I'm out. I would definitely not go in. And then the story is Jesus tells it has the father coming out to the older son, pleading with him, come in. Because uh, we need to celebrate. Your younger brother who was lost is now found. That younger uh, sibling of yours who is is valued in my heart, just like you are. Uh, You need to come in and celebrate with us because he was dead and now he's alive again. Well, of course, the story doesn't end with a resolution. It's kind of one of those cliffhangers, you know. It doesn't tell us whether the older brother really ever came in or not. But you know, just like the tax collectors and sinners, as they were listening to this story, were seeing themselves in that younger brother, the the Pharisees and the scribes were also seeing themselves. It was kind of an aha moment to them as well. Because even though they wouldn't admit it and wouldn't like to think of it, they were seeing themselves in that story as, as the others were seeing themselves. They were like that older brother who always kept all the rules, who did everything right, supposedly, and who was not somebody who went off and and did terrible things. Basically, they were pretty upstanding. And yet, their heart was far from the father, just like this older son showed. And we see in these two two, uh, groups of people this idea of, who needs repentance? Well, if you were a tax collector and a sinner, you would say, yes, I, I need to repent. What does it mean? Repentance is basically a change of heart and a change of mind, and that results in a change of direction. The sinners who needed to repent, needed to repent of their waywardness, their, their, their offense against God, their, their offense against, as the sun says, against heaven and against other people. That was the missing element, by the way. The first two stories, the pattern was something is lost, something is recovered, and then a celebration. But in this third story, something is lost, and before it is recovered, there is a change. There's a little element that goes in the middle of that. It's lost, repent, uh, recover, and then celebrate. And that's true for human beings, as, as it wasn't true for the sheep and the coin. Celebrating comes as a result of repentance and recovery. But it took this son waking up, and it would take the older son waking up to his situation as well because he didn't realize how self-willed he was, how, how self-reliant he was on his own righteousness, the way he was depending upon his goodness. And like he says in his own defense, He said, I've been doing everything right from the time I was young. You've never made a celebration for me, Dad. You've never killed a fatted calf. You haven't even given me a young goat. I've obeyed you all these years. I've never disobeyed a single command that you've given me. So I deserve something. I deserve what you haven't given me. How many people do you know in life that think they deserve heaven? (laughs) think they deserve to be saved just because they've kept all the rules all of their life years ago when i was singing in a barbershop quartet i don't know if you ever heard one of those but there there's gospel quartets and there's barbershop quartets and i was singing in one of them and one of the fellows in that group uh, i knew really didn't know the lord and and uh he was the bass singer in the group so i asked him if he'd have lunch with me one day and i shared with him my own testimony of how I'd come to faith in Jesus and how he had received the gift of salvation that God offers, recognized I was a sinner, I needed to savior, and so I asked Jesus into my life. And I said, to Brent, I said, have you ever done that? Have you ever recognized your need of a savior? And he said, well, you know, Bob, I'm, I'm really glad for you. I, I, I appreciate the fact that's part of your experience. But he said, I, I just don't feel that. I think I'm a pretty good person. I, I think I'll take my chances, as it were. You know, I've, I've done things right, and I've, I've minded my own business. I've tried to do good toward other people, so therefore I, I think I'm okay. But if I ever don't feel okay, I'll come and talk to you. <laughs> I had to leave it at that, at that point. But he wasn't at the point where he recognized his need. He hadn't woken up yet to his own personal need. You know, you hear a lot in these days about the woke culture. Have you heard those terms? People who are woke. What do, what do they mean by that? Well, people who rake, wake up to uh, racial uh, discrimination and uh, systemic race, racism, or oh, woke up to sexual issues like, uh, uh, like homophobia and transphobia and other things. They're, they're the woke generation. They, they've woke up to... Uh, History as they understand it. But the waking up that Jesus has in mind is seeing yourself as you really are. Waking up to reality. And that's where repentance begins. When you wake up to reality and see yourself as you really are and you decide to head in the right direction. Do a turnaround. Do an about face. Go in the direction that you need to go. And whether you've lived a life of rule breaking or a life of rule keeping it really doesn't matter you still need to wake up to your own need we all need the gift of salvation that that jesus came to bring it's not earned it's a gift it's something that god offers to us and to all who will receive it like that wonderful verse john 3 16 says god loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten Son, that whoever will believe on him, whoever will believe on him, would not perish but have everlasting life. God offers that to all who will repent, to all who will turn around and come in His direction and and run into His open arms and receive the gift that He has for us. So when you hear a story like this, this story that is so familiar that sometimes it it's you know kind of lost in our thinking. But I wonder, as you hear that story again, do you see yourself in that story? Do you see the way that you were or the way that you are? Or maybe the way you are becoming? For some of us, you would say, I recognized my life in that young son because that's how I was, too. I was wandering so far from God. God had to... me a sense of understanding and there was a day in my life when i woke up and i recognized how lost i really was and i determined like this son did to go back to the father and he received me some of us recognize ourselves in that older son and like myself i was raised in church and i was a good boy and i used to sit in the front row they called me the little deacon and you know that's uh, that's just the way some of us were raised and and yet I, too, I really needed to wake up and recognize even though I had a good upbringing that I needed to humble my heart and receive the same gift of salvation that people who had done terrible things have received that gift of eternal life. It's for the down-and-outers and the up-and-outers. It's for people who don't think they need the the gospel and for people who know they desperately do so where are you in that story where do you fit you might be thinking well I fit in a position too, where that father was I'm one of those parents that have a son or a daughter who's wandering far away from the Lord last Sunday after the service I prayed with a couple that I've known for years and I knew their son from the time he was young He's 28 years old now, but he's not walking with the Lord. He's far from the Lord. And we prayed that mom and dad, hearts that were heavy for their son, they wanted him to come back. They wanted him to wake up. They wanted him to come back into not only their arms, but also the arms of his heavenly father. That's one way of seeing yourself in that story as well. As you look at yourself today, where do you fit? Do you see yourself in the story that Jesus told? The way you were, the way you are? Or do you see even the way you might be becoming? Some of us, the older we get and we see all the things going around about us, we say, this world is going to hell in a handbasket. You know, It's getting worse and worse and worse. The terrible things that people are doing, look at the way they look and the way they act. That's not the way I live my life. We say, oh, wait a minute. Do I have a heart like the loving Heavenly Father has for other people? Do I desire like God desires that all should come to repentance? Do I do whatever I can to show love and acceptance to to people that I may not even be attracted to because of the way they're looking or acting, but I know God loves them, so I want to search for them like he does? Do you see yourself in the story? Well, we're all in there one way or another. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. As you think about it, and I can't tell, of course, just looking at all of you where you are in in terms of where you are in this story, but I do know this, that there may be some who are listening to me today who have never taken that step of repentance. You say, I see myself in there. I know I need to turn back and And I need to really repent of my sin and and direct, redirect my life. But I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to make that kind of a change. Well I tell you, friends, with your head bowed and eyes closed in just these moments, you could do something very significant. You could say in your heart, quietly, not out loud, but quietly in your heart, Lord, I see myself there. I'm just like that son who needed to repent. I've made a mess of my life. I've crashed and burned many times. And I realize that apart from a change in my life, it's only going to get worse. I need repentance. Oh, God, I come to you. as you, in your heart would express this to him. I come to you and I repent of my sin. I believe that Jesus came as the answer to my sin. He paid my penalty. He made a sacrificial offering of himself on the cross. I believe that. I receive it. I ask Jesus to come into my heart to save me now. If you in your heart would say that, that would be a, a first step. It would be that moment of waking up that you would need, whether you're here sitting in the worship center this morning or listening online later. If that's your need, don't delay. Don't say, well, sometime along down the the road, I'll I'll do something about it. No, today is the day you need to repent and turn to him if that's who you are. If you're seeing yourself in that older brother and saying, I've lived a pretty good life, and I don't think I really need much. I'm, I'm doing well on my own. I'm going to take my chances like my friend Brent. I would say, oh, friend, don't delay. You too need to repent and and repent of that self-righteousness, that self-will, saying, I'm good enough on my own. You're not good enough on your own. You need to pray and say, God, I recognize how sinful I really am, and left to myself, I will never merit salvation, but I cast myself on your mercy. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. If you'll do that, God will rush to you with open arms, and there'll be celebration over your repentance. If your heart is heavy, as I said earlier, because you are a parent who's waiting and watching for that young one to come home, oh, don't give up hope. I had a father I prayed for for almost all his life who finally, finally said yes to Jesus. He came home. Father, I pray for all of us here as we see ourselves in this story. Help us not to look away, to go on our way today and just brush it off. But may we take it to heart and may we also live it out in the days that follow. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.